And if you wanted to have another title for it, I just stuck it up there, Spiritual Warfare 101, because <laughs> there's different levels of it for sure. I was reminded uh, yesterday of a cartoon I had come across several years ago, one time when I was teaching on um, uh, uh, deliverance ministry, casting out demons and, and things like that. And so I thought I'd put that up there tonight. And it says it's from our church. We've been called up for active duty. Can you imagine that? <laughs> In most churches, they would think that means, you know, um, you know, we got to put out the bulletins or we got to do, the, you know, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about spiritual authority, really. And um, just, again, a, just a short recap of what we've talked about already. And that is that spiritual warfare boils down to a simple issue of authority. The word authority, as the Bible um, has it, it comes from a Greek word. It just means the right to use power. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. The right to use it. There's, there's people who use power when they don't have the right. Think of someone who commits a crime. They use a weapon or they use their strength or whatever against a person, but they do it illegally. This is the right to use it, the right to take action, to issue commands, and to respond in obedience. We've talked about how Lucifer, about when Adam was created, Lucifer, who is now known as Satan, um, before Adam was created, Lucifer was the highest-ranking angel, of, and he had great eminence, great power, great authority, and God created him with a keen intellect and incredible authority and position near the throne of God. I have a whole lesson in my Bible prophecy series on the origin of Satan. Because if you understand where he came from, then you understand why he's upset and where he wants to go and his whole plan through the ages. He has a plan through the ages. God has a plan through the ages. And his heart was lifted up with pride, and he desired to be worshipped as God had been. And we, we, we talked about Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. So Satan rebels against God, and he was cast out of his heavenly position of authority. And he took with him, the Bible, as we know from the Bible tells us, a third of the angels. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Revelation 12 talks about them. And so he assigned those angels um, positions of authority. He established his own government, okay, and in the kingdom of darkness. And so he, he came out of a place of authority. He has angels that follow him who were in authority in heaven. And so now he's just set up his kingdom of darkness and done the very same thing. And so after this turmoil, God created Adam and Eve. We know that story. And, but he gave Adam and Eve, he gave Adam in, in the beginning... And Eve, by, take, by the taking of Adam's rib and creating her, he gave them dominion over the earth that Lucifer once had. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. I want you to notice that. Over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the ground. Yes,
The Bible says that he was the anointed cherub that covered the earth. He, yeah, the, the word there is ruled the earth. He had, in other words, he had, he covered, he ruled, he had authority over. And he was the anointed cherub or cherubim that covered and, and he lost that authority. So it was then that the, the earth was cast into confusion, a mass confusion, and God recreated the earth and then put Adam in charge of it. So he was, he was the anointed cherub that covered, ruled, had dominion over the earth. And so he lost that. And so then God says, let's create man in our image. And we're not an angelic being, but let's create something different, totally unique, and let's create him in our image. And then he gave him, cre he gave him authority. Notice he, he breaks it down, but then he says, over all the earth. And so we know what happens. Satan comes and deceives the woman, but Adam sinned. Why? What's the difference there? I mean, I, I know most of you already know that. But the Bible specifically speaks about the fact that the woman was deceived, but Adam was not. Adam willfully sinned. And that's why the Bible says that through the first Adam, sin entered into the world. And by the second Adam, speaking of Christ, that sin was done away with. And so it's, it's not, it wasn't, Eve was deceived. God gave the word to Adam, right? Then Eve was created, and Adam gave the word to Eve. So Satan comes to Eve and says, has God said? And she repeats what Adam has told her. But she was deceived into believing and it says, they looked and saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. And they, they both took of the fruit. But he willfully sinned because God gave him the word. He said, of everything in this garden, you have the right to. The one thing you cannot touch is the fruit of that tree right there. And he did it anyway. That was willful sin. And so therefore, that's why we go back to, we say the original sin came about not by Eve's sin. She sinned, and that, but she was deceived in what the serpent said. Adam, the serpent didn't come to Adam, came to the woman. Adam knew what God had said, and he relinquished that right. And so... That's why, in, uh, when, that's why Christ came, and, and that's why in Matthew 28 and 18, now all of a sudden it went from being hot to, hot to cold, Justin. I see everybody getting cold, so you might want to bump it up a degree. It's at that time of year where there's no, it, you're right in the middle, it's just like miserable. I had the fans on, but that wasn't working, so anyway. But look what it says. And Jesus came to the disciples, spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay? Why did he say that? Did Jesus ever lose authority in heaven? No. His point was, now all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Right? 
And so from that moment, from that moment, the struggle for authority and power on the earth began to take place. Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to those before he goes into heaven, right? Right? I mean, it was 500 people saw him go up into heaven. And he tells them, he said, all authority has been given to me. Now go into all the world in my name do these things. In other words, as representatives of me on earth, go and do these things. Yeah. Right. Right. Satan literally had the right, technically, when he said, if you'll bow before me, I'll give you all these, the riches of the, all these kingdoms. You know, I hear preachers say, well, he was a liar. He, he couldn't do that. Well, he was a liar. He wouldn't do that. That's a different thing. But he could have because now all authority was under him because Satan had, uh, Adam had relinquished it, right? So, but Jesus knew that his purpose was to take back that authority and then he was going to transfer that authority to his church here on earth. And so while this, this is what spiritual authority is all about, this is what spiritual warfare is all, and this is the basis of authority and spiritual warfare. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was he manifested. For this purpose did he come. This, this is why he came, to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus Christ came into the world to do two things, if I could, well, more than two, but let's, in this arena, in this topic, we're going to talk about this. He came to de defeat the devil and the powers of darkness, and he came to destroy the works of the devil, okay? So he, he's going to the source, he's, he's going to defeat Satan and all of his minions, and then he wants to destroy the very works of the devil. And he completed both of those at the cross of Calvary and in his resurrection. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. He conquered Satan. He conquered all of those things at his death and his resurrection. Okay, so he came to defeat the devil and he came to destroy the devil's works. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. And I know some of you, this is not new, but we need to be reminded of this a lot of times. The task of the church is not to defeat Satan because he's already defeated. Our task is to consistently stand in the truth that Jesus has already done that, okay? We, we think sometimes that our, our, our responsibility is to defeat Satan. He's already a defeated foe. He's already got a losing record. 
and it's not going to be changed, okay? So we need to realize that our job is to consistently stand on that truth. Satan, you are defeated. What, what does the devil do all the time? What, what, what does his minions do to us when he comes against us? What does he do? He tries to tell us we're defeated, right? He tells you, you're a loser. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you going on for? What are you trying? What are you, why are you continuing on? You're defeated. You'll never be anything. That's, that's a person who's defeated trying to convince you that you're defeated, Okay. Our job is to consistently stand on this fact that Jesus has already defeated Satan. And if he's already defeated, then what is our job? Jesus said, go in my name as representatives of me. We are to carry out the commission of the church. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. What does it say? As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. What you have freely received, freely give. That's what Jesus told his disciples. So Jesus, having already defeated Satan, he sits now at the right hand of the Father on a throne in heaven, and he's interceding for you and for me. He's interceding on behalf of his church. He's saying, I'm giving them a command. I've given them the authority to go in my name to represent me in the earth. And now I'm praying, he's praying for us that we'll go and do it. He's interceding for us. We usually see him interceding when we're in trouble. How about let's think about it in a little bit different way. I mean, yes, we know that we can go to him whenever there's a problem or whatever, and we can call on him, and he's, he's right there, and yeah, he's interceding for us. But it's not just interceding when we're, in, we're facing a problem, okay? He's interceding for the church to be the church, all right? That's what, that's what it's all about. And so what did he do? He said, I'm going away, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he's going to teach you and guide you and direct you in all these things that I have taught you, and I will bring, he will bring back to remembrance the things that you have been taught, and he will, he will quicken you, he'll alert you when there's a situation that you're right there, somebody, somewhere. What, what did you last week talked about? Turn around and going back and picking up somebody or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and Tracy had just talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, God, the Holy Spirit is here, and Jesus is interceding for us to be the church. So we need to understand that he was, all this through the, the cross and the resurrection and all of that was brought to completion here on the earth for his church. So here's the deal. Jesus right now is in heaven and he's representing us before the Father. We are here on earth representing him on earth. Sound like a good deal, right? That's the job of the church. That's the mission of the church. We represent him, okay? So I want to... I want to focus on two, 
two different words here. Uh, and, I wanna, and it deals with the subject of victorious living. Now, let's just be honest up front. Every one of us has had a, a day that was less than victorious. Can we be honest? All right, thank you. Because if, 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 if not, we're going to take you outside and stone you because you're lying, I mean, in, in the church house. I mean, you know. But we, so many times we say things, Lord, Lord, give me victory over this. Give me victory over this. And what we don't realize is that in Christ we are already victorious. Okay? And so we, we, we need to remember that the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural weapons. So why do we listen to natural arguments in our mind? Because they're, we, we, we don't work by natural means. And whether you want it or not, you're going to be you're going to have daily confrontations that are spiritual contests. They're spiritually contesting. That you're going to have spirits that are contesting you. The kingdom of darkness is going to contest you. If you here's the thing, I've had people tell me, said the devil don't ever bother me. And I said, because you don't ever bother him. The only ones who get attacked are the people on the front lines. So somebody said, well, put me on the back lines. You know, you know yeah, for sometimes, yeah. Rotate. <laughs> Someone take my place, tag, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah, tag team wrestling sometimes, you know, like, Lord, <laughs> where, where are you, Jesus, you know. And, um, but here's the thing, we need to realize that Though the weapons of our warfare are not natural, Jesus has clearly empowered us and he has taught us and he has demonstrated to us all that he did on earth. Okay? He taught us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. He taught us to use prayers of repentance and the modeling of righteousness to destroy the works of the devil. We are not to contend with flesh and blood. You, you know, we all get angry with somebody sometime because they just irritate you. You know? Years and years ago, I know a guy wrote, wrote a song, wasn't a good one, but it was called Sandpaper People because they just rub you wrong. <laughs> you know? It's just like... It's like there's just some people like that. They're just like a prickly cactus, and no matter what you do, it seems like you can't get away from them. But sometimes if you, if you open and pray about it, you'll find out that God's using them to do something in your own life. You know, But we don't contend with flesh and blood, but we need to understand that our contention is against spiritual principalities and powers that control the lives of men and women in this worldly system. So when you're having a conflict with somebody at work or conflict with family member or conflict with somebody else, many times, I'm not going to say every time, just because people are people, okay? And, and they get bent out of shape or they've had a bad day or whatever. We're, we're, and we're all, we've all done that. 
But there are times that there's a spirit that's behind that individual. There's something there. And you can, you know it, you can't, it's like you can't put your finger on it, but you know there's something going on. And that's when you back up and start praying and say, God, give me wisdom and, and, and understanding. You know, this morning I was praying with the guys that were here and I was saying, Lord, give me, give me not just knowledge, but give me wisdom because knowledge and wisdom give you understanding. See, I know, I know smart people that are stupid. They may have degrees on the wall, but they don't know to get out of the rain. And then I can show you a man who never finished the third grade and he's the wisest guy on the block. I mean, he's smart. I mean, he's full of wisdom. But knowledge and wisdom in the spiritual realm give us understanding. And that's what I want. I want understanding. I said, Lord, I don't understand. How many times have you prayed that? Lord, I don't understand. So I pray every morning. I say, God, give me wisdom and understanding. Ephesians talks about it in that, in that chapter, first chapter, talks about, says, give me this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge. To me, that's understanding. I want, I, that's what I want to know. So what we need to realize is that the, when those things are happening and, and all of a sudden it feels like all of hell is coming against you, guess what? It probably is. And you're in a spiritual battle. And you're not going to fix that with mind over matter or go get you a, a latte and just sip on that and think that's going to make it go away. No, that ain't going to happen. It's going to take some standing up, taking a stand, and you can do it in the name of Jesus, okay? For the present time, there are two powerful forces at work in the terrestrial arena and then what i mean is here on earth there is the power of god and there is the power of satan okay those two powers are at work i tell people all the time when there's three choices there's three powers at work in this world three in your life one is god one is the devil and you have a choice it's true God, God will not force you to do anything. The devil will try to force you. But you have, the, you have the deciding vote. But in this world, there are two powers at work. There is the power of God, the kingdom of God, and there is the power of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And we need to understand, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Isn't that what the Bible says? But we're in it. And so we need to recognize that. So here's what we need to know, is that Jesus knows all things, and Jesus has all authority. He's already told us that. The Bible says, in him, all things are created, and all things are held together in him. He created this world, everything about this world. So he knows everything, and he has all authority. What did Matthew 28 and 18 say? It says, all power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth, or on earth. So, let, so let's look at his adversary, okay? 
kingdom of God, king, king, uh, Jesus. Satan does not know everything. He is limited in the knowledge. He is an individual being. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. Okay? We, we, you hear it all the time. The devil did this. The devil did. There's only one of him. He didn't do that. He, honestly, most people think more highly of themselves than they should. Because the devil is probably not going to bother you. He's going to send one of his little demons to bother you. And then when you take a stand against him, he's going to send a bigger demon. And when you take a stand against him, he's going to, take, he's going to send a bigger one and another one. And then he's going to send a gang of them. But guess what? In the name of Jesus, you have authority over every single one of them. Okay? The devil has very limited knowledge. He does not know all things. I just throw this out for you to chew on. One of the reasons when I was a teenager and I came to Christ and I first heard about the baptism and the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, and that was, I, the scripture says that when a, person, when a man speaks in an unknown tongue, he speaks, no one understands it, but he speaks mysteries unto God. What is a mystery? It's unknown. And I remember reading that as a teenage boy and thinking, when I pray in the Holy Ghost, the devil doesn't have a clue what I'm praying. But the Spirit of God does. And the Bible says, and he intercedes for us according to the will of God. How many wills does God have? One. I remember years ago when they said God had two wills. He had a perfect will and a permissive will. Nonsense. Nonsense. The idea was that, that none of us are perfect enough to stay in God's perfect will, so when we get out of his will, we're walking in his permissive will, and, you know, God still loves us and everything, and, but it almost made it like it, a license to go live out outside the lines, you know. But the Spirit of God, knowing the mind of the Father, prays for us according to the will of God, and he speaks mysteries unto God. That means when I pray in the Holy Ghost, the devil doesn't have a clue what I'm praying about. Now, you may disagree with me. That's fine. You can believe what you want. But I pray in the Holy Ghost more than anything else, brother. Because, you know, look, when I'm praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, all of a sudden a thought will come, and I realize the Holy Spirit's telling me something about someone or how to pray about something, and I'll pray along that lines. And when I'm done, I go back to praying in the Holy Ghost, you know. But, I mean, the, the devil's not all-knowing. He... The only reason he knows half the stuff in people's lives is because we go around telling him and everybody else. Really, think, stop and think about it. The power of life and death is in the tongue. 
And we go out there, meh, 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 complain, 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 and the devil goes, ha, ha, jump on them. You know, you know, that's why we can't let our emotions rule us. We all fall prey to our emotions from time to time, but we can't let them, we can't let them rule us, okay? So he has limited knowledge, he has limited power, and he has limited permission to use that power. How do we know that? Remember in the book of Job, what, what happened? He comes to, before the throne, the sons of God, which are the angels of God. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? How upright and righteous he is and everything. And Satan says, well, he's only that way because you've put a hedge of protection round about him. Take the hedge down and watch what happens. And what does God tell him? He said, finally he says, all right, you can do anything you want, but you can't take his life. And that, that's what I'm saying. He works with limited power. You could go over to the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to get into that doctrine of predestination and stuff like that. But the Bible tells us that there are going to be two witnesses the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And it says that the people hate them because they're prophesying against them. And they're speaking against them the things of God towards the world. And it says, and people... In, People will try to kill them. And anyone who tries to kill them, they will die instead. Yeah. That tells me that Satan operates in limited power, limited authority, and he has, he has a limited amount of permission as to what he can do in our lives or come against us. Now think about this. He's limited because we, in the name of Jesus, can rebuke him and stand against him. That doesn't mean there won't be trials and there won't be difficulties and there won't be spiritual struggles and things, but we have that authority to go and do that. So let's look at two words real quick. And the first one is victory. The word victory means win, triumph, conquest, or success. Okay? But then there's the word victorious. And they're different because it means winning, triumphant, conquering, successful. I want you to look at that. The, the, the first one is temporary. In other words, you win a contest. That's temporary, right? You, you are successful in passing a test. Congratulations, but it's temporary. You, 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 you won a victory in something. You, let's say you did a 5K race and you won. Congratulations, but it's temporary. Victorious is perpetual because it's winning, not just win. It's triumphant, not just a triumph. It's conquering, not just a conquest. It's successful, not just success. You see what I'm saying? So the difference is, we, I hear a lot of times people say, well, uh, uh, we need to walk in victory. No, you need to walk victoriously. There's a difference. Now, I, know it, you, I know somebody might think that you're just stretching words, but it really is true. Let's look at this real quick. The church victorious, Okay. Collectively, believers form the church on earth and in heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew 16 and 18. 
He said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter had just made his great testimony in faith by... Remember, he, Jesus asked him, he said, who do men say that I am? And some say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the other prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, in a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the word, the Christ was a title. It meant the anointed one. Okay. He said, you are the Christ, the anointed one. Christ wasn't his last name. <laughs> he was Jesus the Christ, okay? So he says, and he says, he, so he makes this declaration. And so now Jesus says that he's going to build his church on such a confession uh, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Jesus never said he was going to build the church on Peter. Look, you got to take it in the context. He says, you are the Christ. He said, the, 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 you are the Christ, the, the, the Son of God. You are the, the, the anointed one. He said, and I tell you, Peter, that, that on this rock, what was the rock? Not Peter, that truth that Peter spoke, that he was the Christ. He said, upon this truth I will build my church, that I am the anointed one, the Christ, the overcomer, the victorious one. I'm going to build my church on that truth. That's what he's saying, okay? And so now he says, and he says, and that truth, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And the word gates there means the authorities of hell because in those days, the, the one in, in the cities and towns, the authority of that town, the mayor, the king, the prince, or whoever of that town or that city, his, his place of, of judgment was at the gates of the city. And so he's saying that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against this. He said, in other words, the authorities of hell will not be able to prevail against this truth that I am the Christ and I will build my church based on that truth. That's what he's saying. So the authority, I always used to picture it, that, that the church was behind a fort, you know, with walls and that the, the devil's there with battering rams trying to break it down. Listen, it's just, it's just the opposite. The devil has, is, is trying to hold the church out of his territory. But God has said, go in my name, and when you go, do these things in my name. Be ambassadors of me and make that declaration that I am the Christ, okay? So oftentimes this verse is just totally misquoted and misapplied. And, and, um, and Jesus is saying here, he says, there's not enough power even in hell itself to prevent you, any Christian, from completing the task that I've called you to do. How powerful is that? So that's the church victorious, right? Well, the church is triumphant because the apostle Paul said, what in Romans 8, 17, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He didn't say we are conquerors. He said we are more than conquerors. You know, um, the more than is, is a phrase that means like this. Here's what it means. It means like an occupation army that's enforcing the terms of the surrender. In other words, we didn't even fight the battle. We just came in to enforce the terms of the 
the surrender. How about that? Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's an awesome thing. That's what he's saying. He's saying, we are more than conquerors. We didn't fight the battle, you know? I, re I remember hearing a Bible teacher one time, and he told me, he said, in class, he said, Here, here's the difference. He said, you take a heavyweight boxer and put him in the ring. Back then, they used to go 15 rounds. Now, I think they only go, what, 12, something like that. But back then, it was 15 rounds. He said, these two heavyweight brutes get in there, and they go full 15 rounds there, beating each other to, you know, to a pulp, whatever. And at the end, one of them is declared the victor. The conqueror, right? And they hold up his hand and declare him the winner. And he's got the belt and says, I won! You know, we all seen Rocky, right? You know, Adrian, I won! <laughs> he, said, he said, he may be the conqueror, but you know who's the morning conqueror? His wife, because she gets the check. <laughs> and she didn't even get in the ring. Never got involved in the fight. But she got the check. He got the belt. She got the check. And I said, that just makes sense. Jesus got in the, got in the ring. He did the fight, if, there was even, if you could even call it that. Right? We are more than conquerors. We, we are the ones that God has put here to enforce the terms of the occupation, of the, of the surrender. We talked about last week, I talked about how, and if, in, in Colossians where he talks about stripping off all the, remember all the different, bad, all those things. He said, he, he's defeated. Now I've put you here to, to engage and make sure that the terms are, are fulfilled. We didn't have to fight the fight. We're just here to do it. If you go back and read, read history after World War II, after they signed General MacArthur and them, and they all signed the peace treaty there in, in, uh, with Japan and ended World War II, for years afterwards, the American army, there were those who came who never fired a rifle, but they were stationed there all throughout the Pacific to enforce the terms of the surrender. They were more, more than conquerors. They didn't have to fight the fight. They just enforced it. We're not fighting a war. Our very presence executes Christ's authority here on the earth. The psalmist says it this way in Psalms 149, verse 6 through 9. Let, let the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. Now look at verse 8 here. It says, it says to bind their kings with fetters, and their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. What did we just read? He said, he said, he's saying with, with the two-edged sword in our hand, what's the two-edged sword? The word of God. The authority of God that's been given to us, right? He says, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron. What are kings and, 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 what, and nobles? They're, they're the higher-ups in government, right? He said, 
he says, and he says to carry out the sentence written against them. What is the sentence written against them? When Christ overcame, he declared, all authority has been given unto me, therefore I'm in control now, and I give it to my church, that authority to my church. You, in my name, are more powerful than all the armies of darkness. And he says, and this is the glory of the saints to carry out the sentence that's written against them, the kings and nobles that are being bound. Jesus already did it all. All we have to do is, 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 is stand there. So the great songwriters of Israel saw the perpetual victory of the Lord in 1 Chronicles 29 and 11. Look what it says. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Okay? Psalms 98 and 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm had gained us the victory. He did the battle. He did the fighting. That's not our job. If the follower of Christ is going to be effective in carrying out the Great Commission, the issue of being victorious must be firmly established in our minds. It's not about having one day of victory. It's a, it's, it's a perpetual thing. I will live in victorious manner. I will live according to God's word. Jesus consistently defeated the devil in every confrontation, and the battle has been won and will be be consummated when Jesus cast him into the lake of fire that one that final time so let me ask you a question so why do Christians get so worked up in trying to defeat an opponent who's already been defeated in a battle because he's convinced us that we're the defeated one I remember many years ago a little chorus came out and, and, and it talked about being under our feet. It was called Under My Feet. And uh, we, teach, we taught that to these brand new Christians, these Catholics who had come to the Lord and we just taught it to them and Under My Feet. And, and said, Jesus, it's under my feet. He spoiled principalities, made a rule over them openly. Jesus, the devil is under my feet. And, and we'd, we'd sing that little chorus because it, it had a powerful statement. It was straight out of God's word that he spoiled them. He ripped them. He shredded them. He took every piece of authority, everything that said they had any authority and power, he took it away and he said, he said, he said he's under your feet. Why? Because he is sitting on the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. If we are seated with him in heavenly places, where does that put Satan? Under our feet. But yet we, we go around like we're laying down, and he's got his foot on our neck. <laughs> That's right. He said if Satan had, had authority, he wouldn't be bothered with trying to convince us. 
Yep. He makes an occasional good play, but he can't win the game. When Jesus said it was finished, John 19 and 30, he meant it was finished. It was done. I mean, uh, I heard someone say this, and I wrote it down. It's got a kind of a sports analogy to it, but he says, I've run up such a... In other words, it says, though Jesus has said to the church, okay, I've run up such a lead in this game that Satan can't win. Even if he makes a touchdown every hour on the hour until I come back, he still can't win. So he said, you know what they do in the game? You know, let's just take a football game. Like one team gets 40, 50 points ahead. There's no way for the other team to get in. What do they do? They take out the first string and put in the second and third string, don't they? That's kind of like what Jesus is, not to, don't take it wrong, but Jesus is kind of like saying, I've run up the score so high, y'all got this. <laughs> and you say, oh, you mean we're second class? No. <laughs> he fought the whole battle. In fact, when the Bible says when Jesus comes back again, and it says, and he comes back with all of his saints, I've heard preachers preach this, and it's just not biblical. He said, when we come back to the battle of Armageddon, and boy, we're going to be riding white horses, and we're going to be slaying devils. That is not anywhere in the Bible. That battle takes place, and Jesus is the only one who fights the fight. We're going to come back, but we're going to be watching. He doesn't need our help because he's already defeated. He's just kind of put the, kind of like put the lid on the can and say, we're done with this, you know. Okay, let me, let me, let me close with this. We talk about the church victorious, now the believer victorious. Not only do we as believers together in, enjoy a victory over Satan as a church, individual believers are equally assured that what Jesus did to the devil is applicable, applicable to their own lives, okay? First John 5 and 4, look, at it, look what it says. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is, say is. Is is, is what tense now? Come on, I'm not real good. Present, right, thank you. It's now. This is, this, he doesn't say this was, this will be. He says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our faith in what? It's not faith in faith. I've heard faith teachers teach this so wrong. That's not what it's about. It's our faith in God. Jesus said, if you, he said, if you have faith, believe in me. Have faith in me. That's what it's all about. Overcoming is, is a very personal matter. The most powerful God-given weapon that, that God has given to every single person is faith in the work that Christ did that is declared in God's word. It is settled. There's no undoing this. Why do you think the enemy is fighting so hard to rewrite this book? 
and rewrite the things that we accept as fact in this book. They're now, you know, a few years ago, they, they wrote a book, they wrote a Bible that made God uh, in female tense. Now they're writing a Bible where it's gender neutral. God is going to be gender neutral. Come on up. Why is, why is the devil so interested in rewriting this book? Because he wants to gut it with the power that is already there. And the greatest spiritual weapon is our faith in the finished work of Christ. He did not leave with things undone. He said, it's finished, it's done. He said, now I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's, he hadn't come back yet because he said, when it's done, he's coming back. So he didn't leave things undone here. He's over there finishing, and I don't believe it's going to be very long, and he's going to be coming back again. He didn't leave things undone. You know, the old, there's an old thing about how many people who have little things in their house to fix, and they never fix it until it comes time to sell their house. And then they go fix it for somebody else. Isn't it true? Yep. I've been meaning to do that for 12 years. <laughs> you know, we just get used to it that way. I'm just telling you, it's just our personal faith in Jesus is what God desires, not fighting to finish the work that he's already finished. He wants us to stand in it. Neil, you had your hand right? Yeah. Right. That's why he tries to be like God. He can't be God because he can't create anything. It's kind of like having a dollar and a counterfeit dollar. Right. He is the great counterfeiter. He can't, he can't do anything original. He's going to take something and pervert it, twist it, change it, do something to it, you know? And, and so that shouldn't surprise us, but that's what, he, that's what he does. Luke 18 and 6 says this, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? The word for faith comes from a root word meaning persuasion, credence, moral conviction, a constancy in profession of reliance upon Christ for salvation. That's what the word means. In other words, so why, why, do you, why do you think that moral convictions are under such attack? Because the enemy wants us to believe whatever we want to believe instead of what God's word says. So a triumphant believer enjoys a life of triumph, rejoicing in the victory that Jesus has already done. Our victory is a gift given. It is not glory gained. And that's the difference. Victory is glory gained. Victorious living is given by God, by our faith in Christ. I don't have to exert, fight, do anything to live victorious. Christ did it. He gave it to me. It's simply a matter of me taking it and walking in that truth. Now, I don't want to simplify it and make it sound like it's simple. 
It is simple when you follow the recipe. You ever had somebody give you a recipe and you make it and it just didn't turn out right? And you say, I followed the recipe. Sometimes it's not knowing, just knowing the recipe, it's, it's knowing the method. You know? All of us probably had somebody in our lives where you'd say, what's the recipe for that cake? What's the recipe for that gumbo? What's the recipe? Ah, oh, you put a little of this, a little of that, a pinch of that. Well, how much is a pinch? I don't know. I just, you know, we just do it. What, what, what is it? The recipe's there. And even if you measured it out, you could measure it out, but there's still a method. Because it comes in knowing over time that you can sense it, taste it, smell it, whatever. It needs something else, and, and you're not sure. Well, the recipe doesn't say, what if it tastes this way? What do I do, you know? Jesus has done it all, folks. I'm just telling you, he's, he's saying, just walk in it. And that's why I think the Bible says that we are to, to examine ourselves to see whether or not we be in the faith, that we have to walk this walk individually. Your walk is not going to necessarily reflect like somebody else's walk, but we are walking that same path. We're coming from different directions, different mindsets, different backgrounds, all of those things. So our walk's not going to look the same. And people who try to make everybody look exactly the same, talk exactly the same, they, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. Jesus is not looking for uniformity. He's looking for conformity and harmony. Harmony in music is not just one note. It's a blending of different notes, but when they're perfectly blended. I mean, I remember I used to be in a choir in the church of Tennessee, and we had one old man on the front left-hand side. His name was Brother John. He was about 80 years old, and he was, I, I swear he was tone deaf. And he knew one note real good but that nobody had the heart to tell him he couldn't sing. So they just moved the microphones away from him, and he just sung louder, you know. <laughs> he was, you know, and, we, and, and, and the choir director would say, John, harmonize. I am. <laughs> he was harmonizing on the one note he knew. That was it, you know. But you know what? Nobody, had, nobody, nobody kicked him out. We loved, John was part of the choir. What, what am I saying? We all come from different ways, different places, but we're going for the same goal. We're going to the same thing. Conk Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he will ultimately conquer the last enemy. And the Bible says that the last enemy is death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 or 27, it says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 says, To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And when Satan holds the prospect of death over us as a threat, that you have to laugh. Think about this now. Because the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be, to be present with Jesus. When he said, I'll kill you. I'm going home. Glory to God, you know. I mean, you know, I'm being a little simplistic about that. But, you know, we understand that. I mean, 
Paul, what did he write to the church? He said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The, death of, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. He says, but thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's already done through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I want to 